Good morning, everyone. This is the Machination Log for November of some time. I've got two other people in this room. You probably know them by Ryan and Nicole. As Ryan. the movie... Nicole. Crewers. Yep. And uh, you'll actually also recognize the person that we are reviewing today. Oh. We're, we're mostly reviewing one movie, but given that we've already touched on the man's oeuvre so far, and uh, we watched another delightful film of his... Relatively recently, we just didn't we didn't scrutinize it enough. I don't think to justify a whole podcast. Harmony Corinne, he's back. Oh, he's back. The well, bad boy of modern cinema. One of the founders of the Mac of the uh, movie crew podcast as yeah, well, right? Yeah, Holy yeah, yeah it was. Well, yeah, because uh, Birdman was just an experiment by David, and then Spring Breakers when we were just like, yeah, let's just keep doing this. Yeah, that was number two. Yeah, yeah. And Spring Breakers was a good time. Yep. Corinne certainly knows how to make those, but it turns out um, seven years sitting on the pot, actually, um, he managed to make one that was even better, I would say, almost all the way around than Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers felt tentative to me in a way that the Beach Bum 2019 darling cult mm -hmm. classic uh, does not. And most of the reason I think we all want to talk about this film isn't necessarily even to extol what goes on there. You should see The Beach Bum. It's yeah, a it's, good time. It's on Hulu. Just It's 90 minutes. It's a good time. But, but no one around this table can quite grasp why so many people don't like <laughs> yeah, this Yeah, critically, critically, this movie uh, presumably did not appear to be liked by many people, which is odd because while we were sitting and watching it, literally halfway through the movie, David made a line... Something to the effect of, like, how could you not watch this movie with a smile? Yeah. like it's, <laughs> And evidently, that's not how other people watch this movie. Like, they're, it's fine for something to be pointless. Like, The Beach Bum has essentially no moral center to it. And the thing is, it doesn't stew on that. Um, the plot, if it can be said to have a plot, is is there to serve you just like these little dishes of enjoyment, like cruising around in a stupid boat or like cunnilingus on a beachfront <laughs> or Snoop Dogg yeah. just doing his thing. Yeah. Like in a, tr in a way that is a character of him, if you need an idea of where this movie goes. Like it has a caricature of Snoop Dogg in it. Yes. And it's great like it's, it's, it's just, fantastic like does anything in that movie need to be there no and that's fine because it's all just it, it, it's it's the miami big lebowski it's the east Basically, coast big lebowski yeah yeah he, he's like a key west drunk by choice yeah i mean the big lebowski doesn't need all of the plot to justify its existence and neither does this movie well lebowski the plot's almost deceiving in that it feels like it has more plot than it actually does which i think confuses you like it confuses people a well, lot of well, times yeah, initially the, the foreground of that film is it, i mean i i don't necessarily the coen brothers it's easy to give them credit for everything they do and don't do because they're they're brilliant directors but it's also you know <laughs> the, the plot is sort of there to excuse behavior that um can I interject? Yes. Great. Please. Absolutely. So I think that I think that the the it's right to compare Big Lebowski and The Beach Bum. I think that's a apt comparison. But where you know uh Big Lebowski has an accessibility to it because first you know for obviously it is a movie. Like it has standard movie isms. It has a plot that is 
Uh, it's certainly there. And not only is it there, but it's like bizarrely complex. That's what I mean. It's like, deceivingly complex. Like it seems more complex than it even is. And so what we what we have though is, right, like, but Big Lebowski is not like a genre picture, right? It is essentially a detective story film noir. Uh, you know, that's what its structure, plot structure would lead you to believe. Um, and then, but what it is foremost is it's a mindset movie, right? Like there is, uh, you know, a movie that has, brought about a like almost religious movement of dudism, right? Where the I dude, know people who have been ordained dudists, yes. priests, like so it is religion. And that should right that should tell you that right the importance of Big Lebowski is not that the fact that it is a a well-done movie that has a great plot where awesome things happen and no, no, it is a mindset film. But Beach Bum is also a mindset film. But what it lacks that Big Lebowski has is the grounding in cinema, right? It does it it, it you know, it doesn't have a genre that it can kind of like attach itself towards and kind of usher people through the, you know, the, the plot. And then, oh, no, see how someone with a very interesting, you know, dudist like mindset can adapt to conflict and, and problems. No, 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 it won't give you that. Beach Bum will not give you that. It won't ground you in anything. It will. It is just pure id. It's just pure mindset. And the tone and style, direction and editing of the film, the way it tells its narrative is of that mindset as well, right? Like the two are kind of, if you will, harmonized <laughs> in uh, in that way. And I think makes it a less grounding experience for people who forgot why they liked, you know, the Big Lebowski, right? Like the, the mindset, the mood of that film is what sets it apart and what makes it distinct and obviously great. And the Beach Bum has a lot of that as well. And I would argue that the mindset is the key thing from to take away from the beach bum, right? Yeah. Like just sit back and allow. I mean, that's it to really kind of the point you. that the movie's getting to. I mean, I would, it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because you, the plot, the plot is loose. You you can't lean in and watch the beach bum. You you can't scrutinize the beach bum. That's not what it's there for. Right. It's yeah. there for you to lay back. Yeah. And absorb it. And but it's not to say that it's plotless. I mean, it has a basic arc and tension. Right, like Beach Bum uh, uh, is, uh, we we get introduced to him and his preferred mindset. Right, of uh, we, it turns out we think that this guy who lives this bum like uh, lifestyle, it turns out that he's rich. He's ridiculously yeah, rich. Yeah, but of course he's only rich because he has a fucking benefactor who he happens to be married to, and when she is no longer there to help him and be his benefactor. Um, he suddenly is now an actual bum with no income, no sort, no, no. And what's great about this transition is it doesn't change anything about how he is existing. Yes. Like his shenanigans still just roll just the same because he is this beach bum, like regardless of these outside forces. And one of the, one of like the great things about the film is that we're, we then go into the second half where it is the trials and tribulations of the beach bum in order to somehow reclaim the freedom of the first, right? We somehow think that he's been shackled by this lack of funds, this inability to live his preferred hedonistic type of lifestyle. And we go through the second half of the film believing that all of his actions and all of his quote unquote successes as the artistic beach bum is to reclaim that freedom, which we thought was, you know, monetary fucking self-sufficiency. And the movie then in its final act totally fucking subverts that, right? Like takes away any sort of like connection we would have, which is that 
well, you had to write a novel in order to get a shitload of money and to be recognized as a genius. Like, great, good on you. You got it. And then, they, like, no, they're like, fuck you. Like, no, fuck and the off. Whole, but the whole thing is like, is like these expected consequences that you never get. And I think maybe that would irk people of a certain mindset because, I mean, there, you just like I said with the second part, like the first part, we learn he's a beach bum. We learn he's 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 very rich, so he's just kind of like doing this facade, right. but um. You know, we expect that, like, you know, once the money's cut off, that there's going to be, like, consequences for this lifestyle. And there never is. Well, I mean, if the movie has a moral center of any kind, it is it is that the rich can't fail. Yeah. And the fact that he was ever rich is sufficient to float him. Yeah. yeah. Because because even when he's – I mean, we're, we're talking about – we're not talking about someone who has been displaced to somewhere where they are poor. They are in the exact same place where they were rich – and that allows Matthew McConaughey, the beach bum. Oh, yes. He's never actually without resource. Yeah. He, he knows the code to his old house. Like, yeah. he has those kinds of things. With the, and the movie at the very, very end, he sets a boat on fire uh, full, full of, of cash. Full of cash. All the money yeah. that was supposed to be the whole point of why he was doing this. Uh, but yeah, like he was supposed to be writing this novel so he could get this money and then he just burns it in the end because it doesn't matter. Well, and, and, and no, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, isn't that like the good side of it? If you're watching The Beach Bum in the hopes that he gets like, his comeuppance and somehow gets taken down a peg, what is wrong with you? You like, haven't watched any of Corinne's <laughs> other films. <laughs> what is, why would you want to destroy something so pure? Like, who, who are you? No, but that's uh, I'm why would you destroy anything so pure as fifty million dollars? Yeah. No, this is and this is the thing, is that it's not it, it, this is what oh, the I wish beach I bum, had those kind of choices to make in life. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Like Could the, I just burn half of it? The, like, the, the morality of the film is in the amorality of his position. Yeah. He doesn't have to be a moral person, so he's just not. And he's not a moral person. I mean, there's there's a few things he does that are pretty they're they're not very friendly. I no. mean he's not he's not like a fun loving I mean He's as fun-loving as a fucking blackout drunk can be, which means he does some despicable things from time if, to time. If they hadn't filmed this and distributed it at theaters across the world, the Beach Bum, wor the world would be better off without him. Mm -hmm. Like, th the world would be improved by his absence. Again, if there weren't a film camera on him. So, thankfully, he had that going. It's the old, uh, we brought up, and this is going to come up more than once, I think, in this podcast. Um... Fitzcarraldo. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah, Herzog will be when, a big we, transition here. Yeah, when we were talking, you know, back in the Fitzcarraldo days about what it, what can actually be expensed and still be good. You know, you can blow up a car in a movie and it's not a travesty because that car will be enjoyed a million times over. Whereas if you blow up a car in your backyard, that's that's a somewhat despicable thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like it's a tremendous waste of resource. So. I understand that that would seem like it muddles the morals a little bit to <laughs> to actually break the fourth wall and say that this person is okay precisely because his shenanigans can be enjoyed so many times. Yeah. But that is the actual vindication of the film. Yes. If you try to take it on its own terms, the beach bum is like – it. it it doesn't have any redeeming quality no. other than its hedonism. But well, be, but more, its hedonism is reproducible. Yes. And more importantly, this is why we have movies, right? Like yeah. people yeah. at the beach <laughs> should not exist in real life, but in movie form, right? Like they're the the harm they do is 
literally harmless. Yeah. Right? Like it is intentionally or made if up. if it's harmful, it's harmful once. Yes. As yeah. opposed to a million times. And I just, I'm, I'm just struck by, so I get into the kind of like the critical receptions because I, I delved into some of the internet comments and reviews on this movie. And it's just shocking how. People are like outright offended well, by this, it. Well, this is like, this is a, a great, the reaction to movies like The Beach Bum can definitely show that like the 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 broken mind psychosis of 9/11 is still just as powerful today and if anything the, like the election of Donald Trump has just fucking transferred it onto like the other half of the of the liberal population like now everyone's just in post 9/11 mindset here we're like you can't have fun for fun's sake like anti-systemic anti-establishment movies you know you you have to like poo-poo them any joy that comes at the expense of another person is like akin to the worst crime against humanity that's ever been perpetuated on hu- on on the human civilization. It's just fucking relax. Like just <laughs> set out on a boat on a large body of water and fucking chill Have a fucking with this PBR. Just p- chill with this movie, you fucking prude. Because I cannot. I just like I was just struck. By the like, the, like this the vehemence, the, the seeming vitriol <laughs> that people had towards this just Johnny Goodtime movie. Like, give me a break. Yeah, I mean, it's like a more uplifting barfly. Yeah, I'm not, and the barfly is by no means a positive movie. But Bukowski <laughs> drank because he wanted to fucking drink, and he was a beautiful writer, and that's what he fucking did. But there's like, there's no morality about it. No, yeah. <laughs> no. We Nor does there need to be again. Precisely because they filmed all of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but here's the thing too, is that like, right. Like I think that what's you, what's interesting about the beach bum, right. Is that it punches both ways, right? Like in comedy, you know, we we joke about in comedy, right. About, or not joke about, right. There's a problem with comedy that sometimes, you know, you can punch up, right. Like, like George Carlin is famous punch upper in comedy, right. Everyone, everyone he derives, everyone that he mocks and derides, Right. It is punching up. Right. Okay. He doesn't punch down and make makes fun of fucking like disabled people or anything like that. Right. Like he's not punching down this movie. However, yeah, he's beaten bureaucracy and yeah. fucking people. Oh, yeah. That, he's punching up. Think yeah. That, yeah. People he's think mocking those. Uh, yeah. yeah. He was very political. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And but this film. Right. It punches both ways. Right. And I think that that's part of what is kind of I could see why there would be some problems in like, you know, holding this up as a, as a lifestyle model <laughs> like out there, like saying like adopt the beach. There'll be no beach bumism, you know, well, I like mean, religion. But adopting this as a lifestyle is about as sane as adopting, you know, like the alien lifestyle from spring breakers. Well, I mean, yeah. it, you know, like on balance, you know, like this is much better than like joining the CIA or something, you know, like, like this is, you'll, the beach will do much less harm in his lifetime than the average CIA employee, you know, like, so, Let's let's not like kind of kid ourselves here because, you know, like the, it's just it's just so like bizarre to see like that the like the amount uh, and the, and the the vehemence that people had towards this like not amoral right immoral yeah like and that's where yeah. I have a little bit of dis- you know if I was to pick my big bone about this is that you know I would make an argument that beach the beach bum is, has a much more amoral stance yeah, towards yeah, his yeah. relationship uh, to the yeah. world absolutely then immorality i mean there's only i mean if we're gonna kind of nitpick here on the plot level right like there's only like i think maybe two one or two instances in the film where it is clear his actions have caused direct harm 
But even then, it's not like his decision to do it. I mean, the most, the worst moral aspect of the film is when he's out with, with, which was, by the way, Zac Efron, which yes, I did not notice yes. at the time. Yeah, like, yeah. But he, they escape from this drug the rehab Jinko, silly. The and they, wearing yeah. paper. And they go out and they fucking, and they're like, we need some cash. And it's not the beach bum, right? But it is the 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 Zac Efron son of a preacher man um, who, you know, assaults and robs a handicapped person yeah. to get cash. And while he certainly does nothing, you know, to stop it, and that is obviously a knock, it is not like he instigated, initiated, planned for, but he and also, committed. He also, he pushed that guy playing the tuba off the deck just because it was funny. But at the, you know, like, what did he, he lose his phone? You know, okay. like, I mean, like, yeah. like in the grand scheme of things, you know, like. He I'm just saying, like, he'll do, you know, he does things that people would find, you know, fucking mean oh, and Oh, he does plenty of repulsive yeah. bullshit. Um, but, I mean, the Zach Efron character's an interesting thing. It is it is guilt by association. And that was my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Because it was, you know, like, there's, I, I can understand the hanging with the boys style shenanigans to some degree. But there was, there was a, it's not even a hard edgedness. There was just a lack of joyousness to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is present in so many other scenes. In the, like, you know, they, they take off in an airplane and a blind man is flying. Yeah. It. <laughs> like there's like the, there's different kinds of shenanigans and not all fun has to be harmless per se. Yeah. Like you can push the tuba guy off the bridge and that's entertaining in and of itself. And you know, the, the idea of the burning of $50 million in a sailboat. I mean, I, I'm the kind of person who is psychotic about things like that. And I can understand to divorce the mechanics of the destruction of wealth from the actual, you know, like there's, there's something there, but the only real dichotomy, the only hedonistic dichotomy for the sake of this film is the Zac Efron character or the, who's the other guy? Uh, Martin Lawrence character. Yeah. People who are scamming or ripping off yeah. other people. The Beach Bum's presence around those people. Like, there's a reason he likes those kinds of people. Yeah, he's a bot, like, he's a... Um He's a bottom dweller. Yeah. Like he thinks that that's where he gets his inspiration from is, you know, these people, you know, kind of scamming and. But the only, the only way to philosophically square this, I mean, where, where does McConaughey's money all come from? He's rich. We don't know what his wife used to do, but it was surely extractive and awful in some capacity. It was just not as obvious where that money comes from. So if you want to make that argument, feel free. Nobody did in the reviews. Rich no one was talk- assholes. No one was make- talking yeah. about this shit in the review. Mm-hmm. Like the people who were mad at this movie were not mad about the dichotomy between the rich and poor extractive exploitation. Yeah. Like that's not what they were talking about. They were annoyed that Matthew McConaughey was having a really fucking great time. Yeah. And it remind, but it's also where, you know, the kind of like hypocrisy of, because there's very little talk in a society obsessed with freedom about liberation, right? Like most Americans either, either feel horribly oppressed by like minorities for some fucking unknown reason (laughs) or right. They, they see themselves as already free. And like, so in America, right, this like, you know, we we're, we're so lucky that a group of like landed rich white men liberated themselves and therefore 22 generations later, us, you know, like, <laughs> we're just like, Whoa, wow, I didn't have to didn't have to write that check, you know, and like, but for a movie, right, that I think is about, you know, liberation and more importantly, right, like much like the dude, right, like why we compare this to Big Lebowski, right, like there is a freedom and I think the metaphor of like Key West boating, living, living off and on the ocean, 
is the idea of going with the flow. Yeah. And there is a lot of in this movie about like about being on a boat, about going with this, like, you know, going where the ride takes you, you know, and I think what the amorality of going with the flow, right, is that it is not like linear in only one direction, right? Like, you know, the ocean and bodies of water have tides, things go in, they go out, positive stuff comes into the world, negative stuff comes into the world. And the amorality of going with that flow, right? Like where it takes you is to, uh, you know, in its most egregious and hedonistic sense is what the beach bum is all about. But let's not mistake ourselves that if we're going to like digest this film in the scope of like modern reality, you know, if you're like a mid-level Wells Fargo employee four years ago going with the flow, like you're a bad person, yeah. right? Like you're <laughs> yeah. a shit person for not uh, arresting that and taking back and sacrificing and taking harm in your own life for not causing harm in someone else's life, right? Like they're going with the flow as well. And this, you know, inability to like recognize that to halt against that to and to requires an and a direct liberating ideology, right? A direct action to liberating yourself from that, from that sentiment. But if you just adopt the amorality of literally going with the flow, right? Like mm -hmm. I've got friends, they're people, you know, we're going around, we're scamming, like I got to make money. I've got to, I've got to, you know, uh, uh, find, find inspiration as an artist. You're, you are, you know, looking and taking things in and, and taking suggestions and going out of your comfort zone, right? All of those like trite phrases that people might say like, yeah, I'd like to maybe try that sometimes, right? Like, no, like inhabit and live it is beach bumism, is dudism to a certain extent. And it, you know, like it won't always take you someplace positive. You can't yeah. like give yourself up to that and then somehow like just like pump the brakes and, and stem the tide so that it doesn't take you into a place where you don't want to be. And that's what I think the beach bum just fucking has in spades and maybe we can start transitioning into Julian Donkey Boy because of how the story gets is told, right? Because of Harmony Corinne's very particular narrative style, which is this vignette-like, you know, one thing leading to another without having clear establishing shots of where we're going, why we're going, what's going on. No, characters make decisions. Uh, the setting changes. The action and dr drama from their from their actions acting this way to certain setting changes. It like happens to us rather than being explained and set up to us. And I think that is a little bit jarring as well. And why people, I think, find Harmony Korean movies, much like Spring Breakers is a, you know, it's a difficult chew. Spring, uh, uh, the Beach Bum is, you know, not audience friendly in any sort of way. And Julian Donkey Boy, which is, you know, a fucking rejection of it, you know, like an outright rejection yeah, of so, it. So 20 years ago, yeah. before we got the Beach Bum, we got Julian Donkey Boy. Harmony Crin's second feature. Oh my God. And um, this movie is experimental and inaccessible, but it is also the like single greatest um, capturing of mental illness on film, essentially. That was the way it was pitched to me. This movie's come up many times. I don't know how you exactly feel it because it's, well, okay, so this. This movie like fucking impacted me. Like when I first saw this movie, it was I it was just the most amazing thing I had ever seen. And I I was really glad when we went back and watched it to find that I was still like just as moved by it. But it's I mean, but it's not it's not an easy film. Like 
I, I, um, I, I mean, there I mean, was, there was, there was, we had five people watching it. There was like five forms of PSTD going on, like while we watched this film. I gotta, you know, I mean, I don't know, David, if you want us to kind of expound a little bit on like, yeah, yeah I mean, okay, maybe yeah, let's yeah. set this you guys one up have and a then we can kind it, of, I don't. Okay, so, kind of feel. So Did you rewatch or you just watched yeah, it the one no, time? No, I rewatched okay, it. Okay. So this is what, 99? That was necessary. Yeah. I missed 90, at least 15 minutes of it. <laughs> 99. So. Yeah, so this movie's 99. Um, so I'll go ahead and go through some of the like nerd, film nerdy stuff here. Okay. So, uh, the first thing you see when you watch this movie is a, manif- uh, a film manifesto, uh, they, they, they exist, yeah. uh, called Dogma 95. It was set up by a group of Danish filmmakers, and I'll run through the basic rules. Uh, meant, uh, and these rules and this manifesto was established in order to purify cinema. Uh, one, shooting must be done on location. Props must be found on set or, or found there. They can't be purchased. Um, the sound must never be apart from the images or vice versa, so you can't bring in sound that wasn't uh, happen- happening while you were filming. Camera must be uh, handheld. Film must be in color. Special lighting not acceptable. Um, Optical work and filters are forbidden. Uh, Film must not contain superficial action, meaning no murders or weapons or anything like that. Um, Temporal and geographical alienation are not forbidden, so this can't be a genre piece. has to happen in the here and now of the filming. Uh, Genre movies are not acceptable. Must be in 35 millimeter, and the director must not be credited. It's essentially cinema verite with a Danish spin on it. Yeah, yeah I think and so. this movie, I think there's a few things that probably don't adhere strictly to the rules, but quite a few. You know, there's a murder in the first five minutes. Yes, there is. The, so, but this was nonetheless, like all good, uh, nice bureaucratic institutions of purity. Um, this movie was submitted to the Dogma 95 committee, and they were so touched that a non-Danish person <laughs> submitted a movie that they just fucking let it through they call um i think that von trier talked who loves this movie by the way um said this was one of the most important pieces of cinema in the last and the last in the post-world war ii era and i can't disagree no i don't disagree either um Um, he claimed that this movie had a an imaginative interpretation of the rules so like all great things that are named after dogma it's really in how you see it you know what i mean like really yeah yeah it's like transubstantiation you know um so he makes this movie and you know, so how many, well, first off, right, like one of the interesting things about watching this film with the, because we want, you know, um, is that this was filmed on digital video cassettes, then transferred over to 35 millimeter film. Boy, it looks like it. Yes. And this, <laughs> the, the, right, like the home movie like approach to the cinematography of this film has a really, I thought this was an incredibly unique experience. The way, I don't know if it's like, like the grain, the static. We, um, we watched a DVD rip of the film and that played a major role in the way that it looks because regardless of whatever artifacts transferring from a um, transferring from the recorder to yeah. 35 had DVD for those who don't remember and maybe just to refresh your memory DVD is 720 by 480. That is the resolution yep. on it. That resolution, uh, the long side of that resolution is the short side of the HD that we left behind three generations ago. Like this is the definition of this picture is minute. It's very, very small. And what this does, because DVD is still, it's not uncompressed, but the bit rate on it is extraordinarily high. It preserves film grain, but it can only preserve film grain in massive blotches, Mm -hmm. which means that you get an almost psychedelic effect in this film because the film grain is already high contrast from being a digitally recorded thing that Mm -hmm. is transferred. And then the DVD copy gives you extremely sharp 
grain on top of it. Yeah. So it almost looks like they added a filter, which would have been against Dogma 95. We'll let that slide. But it it makes it it makes it so that you never actually feel like you are you, you are present. Like you can't actually be in any scene. The camera is always obvious. And what's what's truly fucking amazing about this is that as as you watch as you look at it, right? Like there's you know your eyes have to focus on something. And the more particular you focus on a segment or a part of the frame, right, the more apparent and obvious the grain becomes, right? You, your eyes almost yeah. are drawn to the individual details of a segment of grains on a human face that encompasses like a fifth or even a sixth of the screen. And you begin to like lose the detail of the remaining frame. And then the more you kind of like if you say like, all right, I'm not going to focus on a specific detail right, or like an actor's face. I'm going to try to like widen my gaze a little bit and kind of like see everything. The grain becomes this bizarre uh, way that it like, that it like, like masks. It's like hiding and, and you have to like kind of like search out important details in the frame as a scene is unfolding. If it's a conversation between two individuals or if the, the frame is moving and people are moving through it, you can't find yourself focusing specifically on any detail because then you'll fall into the trap of, of you the grain will become so pronounced and the grain is sharper than the form. Yeah. And it's, and it's your eye yeah. is constantly having to adjust and move and you're having to make decisions about where to look. It's a very, but I feel like that's also a play into, because this movie is about a family um, and particularly the one son, Julian, who believe he is supposed to be schizophrenic. And I just know that because this movie was based on Corinne's uncle, who was a uh, paranoid schizophrenic. So I think that's what his, his like disability is supposed to be, but it doesn't, it doesn't like necessarily. S Wikipedia says so. Yeah. It's so not we'll like the, mo the movie says like what his thing is. And that kind of goes into how the family dynamic is. Um, like part of this look helps you kind of get into this schizophrenic mind where it's like this, like everything is kind of like moving. Um, yeah. You know, it's like the grain and the heart to focused and it almost kind of helps get you into like a mindset of somebody that is seeing the world very differently than you are. Well, and, and it doesn't stop just with there, right? Like the, like we've kind of, tritely summarize this movie because I've not I've only seen this movie twice. Yeah, right? we actually we just described kind of what's going on. We didn't even discuss what this movie's about. But anyways, yeah, it's about a family yeah. that has a fair level of dysfunction. Um and the oldest son Julian is a schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. The dad is an immigrant and doesn't quite understand what's going He's on. He's a drug addict as well. He's yeah. also a drug addict and drunk. There is a daughter who is pregnant. And there is the youngest son who we find was probably he, his, the mother died giving birth to him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the dad has not really been able to kind of get this family. Get past that. Yeah. yeah. Like there's still a lot of there was skeletons one, in the closet from this. And they live with a grandmother. Who basically just plays yeah, with the dog. Yeah, like she's, she's fairly out. checked out. Yeah, she's checked out. The father's played by a... Uh, <laughs> despondent Werner Herzog. Oh, God. Yeah, and this movie is a direct... I'm glad we've covered Herzog before this because <sighs> another aspect of this storytelling is um, taken directly from Herzog and his kind of like blurring of what's scripted and what isn't scripted like within the film, which uh, Strassig, it, it carries very heavily from kind of like the Strassig structure of filming where yeah. 
the actors are acting, but the things that are going on around them are not necessarily scripted all the time. Mm-hmm. W- but with the important caveat, which we've been hammering on the whole time, where in Strassic, you are the one looking in. In this film, Julian is the one looking in. Yeah. Um, Julian is always the observer, mm-hmm. even when he's in the frame. Yep. Um, you don't ever get a moment to act as Ryan, you you've already described. You don't you don't get a moment to actually focus. They none of the shots last long enough, none of them are still enough, none of them are sharp or clear enough. You are permanently in a state of dislocation. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter what's going on. There are funny moments and sad moments and the rest of it. And those are all overlaid by a just general neurological dysfunction. Yeah. yeah. And even, like, the way the music will blare in and out randomly at times and stuff. Like, it, you know, you, there's definitely, like, you're feeling kind of like the sensory overload. Yeah, and you'd, you'd want some respite from it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you normally, right, a film is supposed to, like... You know, you can't just have like action things, right? Like you're supposed to calm down, so yeah. you can like go to the yeah. bathroom while watching the while watching the movie. No, you don't like, get a break. No, like, and that's the point, right? Like I've, I've talked before about this movie being one of the most honest films I've ever seen, and the point, right? Like, like Harmony Corinne's not going to let you go from the fucking dramatic intent of this yeah, film. Like Julian doesn't Ju- get a break. Julian this gets no fa- respite from this, his schizophrenia. This family doesn't get a fucking break. From- How fucking arrogant of you, <laughs> the viewer. To like want a break in 90 minutes, you know, like I need to like, you know, like, geez, like, shouldn't he take it easy on us? Like, you know, like, you know how many people in life like haven't had it taken easy on them? You know what I mean? Like, there's no fucking like, there is no like just off switch that you can just turn off what's happening yeah, and to your you cerebral palsy, Your cerebral palsy shakes just stop. No, yeah. it's like it, the camera is shaking all the time. This is cinema fucking verite. Yeah. Okay. And, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say now's probably the right time to bring in the... um the extracurriculars here. So I alluded to not having seen 15 minutes of this film, and that's because I was uh, extremely drunk at the time. The, it's how um, you're supposed to see this movie the first time. Like, you should be so intoxicated that you can't physically move. Yeah, and uh, at least two of us fulfilled that, as far as I know. Look, you either have to be really good at turning off your barriers in order to, like, let, to, to allow yourself to have an experience. Or like a lot of us, you have to like chemically get yourself there. <laughs> and I, you know, it's not to say that this movie can't be like objectively, you know, like you can, you can stand apart from this film and, and analyze its particular, I mean, sure, go ahead, have fun, you know, like, but I don't think that there is a, a better way to view certain films where we don't do it as an intellectual exercise, but really try to remove as much as our restrictions on something as possible. And you don't need that for like normal ass movies because, you know, the barrier you have to break down in order to buy into most movies is by the fact that they're all fucking, the, they're That's all the fiction. same goddamn movie, yeah. right? Like, you know, like, you know, the main character is not going to die. You know, the action is only temporary and meant to move him forward. You know that, you know, the MacGuffin of every fucking film in the history of human existence is not actually important. And at the end of the day, we know we're not going to learn anything from what we're watching. Right, like the person you are when you started the film is exactly the same goddamn person you're going to be when you fucking finished it, and it's not like you're going to like walk away from this from fucking Avengers three, like having some brand new insight on how this related to your goddamn life, and like so just I and that's fine, right? Like Simona can be an escape, right? It can just be something we pick up and put down, 
and I know what I'm getting into, and I accept those terms because they're like every other thing I've done in my life. But this movie is not that. And fuck you for trying to make it like it, right? Fuck you for trying to try to hold this thing accountable to some other experience you've had in cinema. And if you've got to get like uproariously fucked up in order to get yourself there, I I, I understand. That's well, like I said, I, that's I've, watched, I've watched it both, but the first time I saw it, I was so inebriated. I couldn't physically move. So even if I hadn't wanted to watch the movie, it wouldn't have made a difference. I mean, the impact had already been made at that point. So I've, I've watched it in both states, but I'm saying, you know, being heavily inebriated does help the experience. Well, I, I will tell you this, right? Like when I, when someone might be like listening to this and saying, who is this conceited fucking prick? Right. Like, <laughs> right. Like, and you'd be right to ask. Yeah. And you know, absolutely. So let me allow myself just two minutes to, to justify this here. Right. Like pontificate I, for us. I used to think that I had empathy, right? Like I used to think that like I would be able to imagine or to like, you know, put myself in someone else's shoes and walk a mile in them or whatever trite out, you know, tritism you want to throw into that. But it really wasn't until I had seen this film that I really understood that I, how much I was bullshitting myself. The, the way in which mental illness is portrayed in this film, as I've said before, is one of the most honest w- things I've ever seen from cinema. And what it really confronted me with was the idea that s- I don't have a fucking clue how to empathize with a lot of people's experiences. Yeah. And even to this day, you know, when we, when, when we are being called, you know, when we talk about cancellation or call out culture or something like that, right. It really has, I'm like, I'm like, God damn, do I really understand what it is to be gay, black, oppressed in our society? Can I imagine, can I put myself into that, that, that headspace and that experience until not only that, but not only put yourself there for a, a couple of minutes, but to fucking magnify those minutes to a fucking lifetime of experiencing that someone with debilitating physical issues. Yeah. It just like, you know, like suddenly when you start to like actually examine your own experience with empathy, you realize how like you are, you know, you're just using it as a word in an argument to fucking demon to like, you know, signal something about yourself rather than someone who would be really great at empathy. It, it, it would almost be debilitating to get past it. And for Julian Donkey Boy, man, like this, this movie, because of its technique, its style, the decisions made, it, it hits so many of the, uh, uh, it ticks so many of those boxes that I really, really believe this is to be an exemplary piece of art. It, it is, it is a fucking transcendent experience for me in the way that, you know, I have, attuned myself since watching this movie to allow barriers to break down and to enjoy the pureness that they can allow me to enjoy the way that Aquaman can be fun. Despite the fact that it's fucking patentedly ridiculous, it's still, I can break down and say like, look, you know, like I've got to let some of my fucking self go here in order to enjoy fish people (laughs) (laughs) moving through the world. And, but when I, but when I believe that truth can be con- conveyed, when I believe a movie's trying to be honest with me, um, I, I can only go back to this experience as being something that taught me and allowed me to, to realize that I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And how many other movies can we say that have taught us that? No, I mean, you get out of this one and you're like, wow, Hollywood has lied about me completely about all mental illness, basically. Well, and, and I've had, you know, like <laughs> I, have, I had a member of my family that, while not schizophrenic, 
had a debilitating mental illness that we had to grow up with and deal with. And granted it was an extended, right. It wasn't like my day to day reality, but like, God damn, like it is not fucking in, you know, the inspiration does not come from the person who is mentally handicapped. And that is what is so fucking honest about this, right? Like so much of how mental illness is oftentimes displayed in, in normal cinema is that no, this person has a beauty to their humanity that their mental illness is holding back from us. Right. And unfortunately that's usually not the case, right? Like people with severe mental illness, there is not an underlying sense of beauty that comes out of that. Most of that is manufactured by the people that care for them in order to develop the requisite strength in order to handle and deal with that. That's the tension of any film that attempts to portray this. I mean, the number of, of the people who are accurately diagnosed with schizophrenia Um, a percentage of them commit suicide and a large fraction of those who go without medication commit Mm -hmm. suicide. And this movie does a very good job of portraying why that might seem completely sensible because to have to do this for more than an hour and 40 minutes is absolutely unsustainable. There's Mm -hmm. no reason there's, this isn't, you know, this is, this isn't a function of suggesting maybe there is a way, maybe there is a cure. It's not worth waiting for the cure. It's not even worth trying to explore the possible avenues because this is what it amounts to. Like you, you would not bother to keep going. I mean, that's almost the weirdest thing about Julian Donkey Boy is that he has a specific optimistic style that mm-hmm. almost makes this even more perverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he kills a, he kills a kid in the first five yes. minutes of the film and yeah. forgives himself. Yeah, essentially, he doesn't. He he. I don't. Uh, to my knowledge, he never brings it back up once. No, no, because no. it will, well, it was on his own, and yeah, and then he. Well, there's okay. I would. The way that I would explain that is by the way that this film comments upon religion, which I will like. That is. That is a tangent on its own, right? But well, there's a lot of tangents. Yeah, and I, but I, I, I think that you're essentially right to just to once again kind of reiterate the fact that, like, you know, if you if so, like, there's this movie called A Beautiful Mind. I'm sure you guys have heard about yeah, it. Yeah, won a lot of Oscars. It, yeah, won Oscars. Mm-hmm. Got Russell Crowe playing a schizophrenic, and you know, like, you they're might just walk his imaginary friends. Oh, he's just got imaginary friends. He's a he's a humble genius that's going to fucking you know change humanity through his fucking you know inherently fucking immoral sense mm-hmm. of selfishness that he projects onto everyone but himself. But regardless, okay, regardless, it's a perfect Hollywood film. <laughs> oh my God. In the sense yeah. that it's, it's, com- it's a complete, not like whitewash fabrication are not words to describe the tragedy that it does to, by not dealing with mental illness in a serious and honest way. A, ra- a Randian superhero with a flaw that doesn't hinder him. <laughs> in, in no oh, way. God. But more importantly, just causes suffering to everyone around them, which the oh. film excuses. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's the most like that to me, right? Like I, I, if you like a beautiful mind and would hold it up as like a good movie like I've got questions. And then what is that saying to people who about, actually have mental disabilities? It's like, oh, you're just not trying hard enough. You can just, you can just yeah, overcome you it can on just your own. Overcome this on your own. No, yeah. it's it's neoliberal horseshit. More importantly, more importantly, the 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 other dynamic of mental illness is usually that, like, once again, the the person that is mentally ill, like I said before, has some core, some bright burning genius or humanity within them that is mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. Right. Like even Rain Man has this to a certain degree, right? Like yeah. Rain Man, 
no, oh, he's he's got he's he's actually uh, gifted. Yeah, he's just too gifted, right? Like like all geniuses, right? Like there's you got to take the good with the bad, and like but the good is so brilliantly like no. Every, I've not met a mentally ill person who was a genius. I, like the vast majority of severely mentally ill people I've known um, have been debilitatingly like, mentally ill. Yeah. And the difficulty that it comes in dealing with that. And I can't speak to any sort of degree that like I had some sort of majority stake in that person's existence. But regardless, I fucking am not going to hold it over someone's head. The The way in which they deal and live with that situation, let alone the person that's actually fucking experiencing it. And this is what I like that there is a way in which films and especially American society has in actually confronting the, the misery of that experience that I find just like, it's, it's, it's just, it's insane. Like, I don't know how, like it's just bonkers to me the way that that, that is portrayed and accepted as somehow being appropriate as a response to dealing with that. Every common flavor of mental illness is boring in a very important rhetorical sense, not in the way that boring is generally portrayed as being a line level, though it is. It is something where you are in a substandard state where things don't change. It also goes to the second definition of boring, which is hiding in the base word, which is to bore. bore. The boring through your life. Anxiety does this to people. Depression does this to people. Bipolarity, <laughs> highly misconstrued as being an exciting disease. It is not. It is the same bullshit yeah. as the other ones. It's just every once in a while there's, there's a high. It's just that the spikes go up and down a little bit more. Yeah, but even those are not part of they're they're not part of a through line that you can harness for the sake of capital energy. Yeah, like yeah. that's not what they are. You are having to negotiate those to live the life you want to live. Yeah. It's there are many there there are many weird sides to this that have been confused thanks to popular psychology and I will recommend a psych degree to anyone who's going through college, but you do have to be very careful in the way that you approach the concept of abnormal psychology because the things are undesirable and the fact that it is possible for someone who has depression to have thoughts that are in some way unique does not excuse the laboriousness and the boringness of their life otherwise. If a writer could be undepressed, that writer would never choose to be depressed. Yeah. That's not how that works. You don't spin it to your advantage. And schizophrenia is an example where it's even harder to imagine that because as I, you know, I it's it's not that being anxious or depressed doesn't lead to new and exciting avenues of thought. It's just that you can you can have those in a controlled environment. You don't actually have to be mentally handicapped in some capacity to do that. And everyone would be better off if they were not. It's not worth the product. Yeah. Um, and in this case, Harmony Corinne has perfectly captured an example of that. And I would, and as I, so let's get into the actual, like some of the, the meat you of can, this film. You can yeah. depress yourself. You can become anxious. Oh, you yeah. can become split-minded. You can induce all of those states. You can make all They're of those things happen to yourself. They're not going to improve. Yeah, they're not going to improve you. You you are not better off being forced to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> and I think too that the so 
I think there's really two aspects in the way in which scene leads to scene, right? And and each scene itself, I mean, there are some there are some scenes in this film that I think are just in, incredibly fucking heartbreaking and tragic. Oh God! Um, because the other major point I would feel that Harmony Corinne is making with these films, and when we talked before about exploitative films, when we talked about you know Herzog uh, about using actual you know real people yeah in in a fictional film to convey their those those experiences and to populate if you will the universe of this of this film right like there's obviously moral problems that come from that but where i think that herzog and corinne don't violate and fall on the negative aspect of that morality is that they are on the sides of the people they are trying to portray. And the way that, so Julian, um, as like a day job, he's a janitor at, I think, like a school, for, I think it's like a school for the blind. Yeah, yeah school yeah. for the blind. And um, so a lot of the scenes come from people, you know, are, are populated and, 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 and star people who are blind. With actual disabilities. Yeah, who have, also have mental yeah. illness problems, who have, who have disabilities. And and those people are real. Like, yes, they're not scripted. They're, they're not pretending to be blind. Like Dogma ninety five mandated. Yeah. yeah, that they in fact have. I know. Problems. And then there's there's one heart because he hangs out with this young girl. She's probably like twelve or thirteen who's blind. And there's this heartbreaking scene where he, she's talking to Julian and she's like, "Well, I thought I could see everything, right. and then the doctor said that that I can't see anything, and like like she wouldn't even have known that yeah. she had like no vision if she hadn't even." told her someone like, if someone who could see better had told yeah. her that she couldn't that she was defective and the 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 it's not merely the experience like like if we once again if we empathized and believed and imagined a day-to-day reality of being you know severely handicapped in any capacity but how those people fit into the world mm-hmm. is the second major fucking tragedy of this film the the and it's really experienced like two ways, right? Like it is the the instances of how their day to day life happens, and then it is also just horribly encapsulated in the abuse of Werner Herzog of the father Werner Herzog on his family. Mm-hmm. And these two two pillars of like once again the whole world telling these people that you're not right. Yeah, you that, don't that fit like in. yeah you you know you're you don't have you're lesser. Yeah, and you will, you will fucking feel that and experience it in everything you do. That you will that you were don't you just don't measure up, kiddo. And you're going to be reminded of that in everything you do in this world. Yeah, that's and then clearly drawn out there. And then the viciousness that people have towards people that are different from you. And like the you know Herzog's abuse of his family to every member in it. Oh is really, really, really harsh. And what is so difficult about this too is that Werner Herzog himself is goddamn hilarious in this movie. So his, his as a personality, he is grander than he has any right to claim to be. You know, he has this historical knowledge. He regales the family of these like, you know, like the fucking plot and ending of Dirty Harry which he gets, which he botches even, you know, he can't even remember that correctly. He has these fanciful historical lectures or anecdotes. And he has all these, he has all these ideas of what he wants the family to be. And clearly they're not that. And And he he himself doesn't even measure up to his standards. No, no. And 
then he, then but he, then it manifests uh, like so awfully to the kids. I mean, at, at one point he tries to get the one son. He, you know, he pulls out one of his wife's dresses and he's like, you're the only one that looks like oh, your, your mother. And he tries to like pay him to put on the dress oh. and like dance with them. And then he goes through different scenes where like when he's tired of Julian, he's like, he tells Julian that he should hit his own face and it sends Julian into like a raging. Well, he, uh, the other, the other thing. So, so, um, Chloe Sevigny plays the, 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 the daughter, the pregnant daughter of the, and the, the, I, I agree with you, but the, I think the abuse is, the scene starts out with even worse abuse. Uh, which is that he, he, she is playing the harp and playing very simple tunes, you know, like Frere Jaca and very simple. And the scene starts with him coming in and, and saying that the father says to the daughter, you're never going to learn. You're never going to learn this. Stupid you are thing. a dilettante yeah, and a slut and, and, and then you he, will never learn to play that harp. But he, but what is he, he tells Julian, Julian to tell, to tell her. her that. And it's like, God damn it. You know, like the fucking. And then when Julian doesn't do that, he gets so frustrated that he's just like, can't you act normal? Like if I was as stupid as you, I would hit my own face. Yeah. And then, so Julian gets all worked up by this and starts hitting himself in the head. And then um, the daughter eventually has to go try to calm just hold, him down. Just hold just him. Just hold him and, down. Oh God damn because it. Because after instigating all this shit, he's just like out of here because he he's, you know, like a, an abusive person on top of it and he's completely ill-equipped, you know, to deal with with the kind of problems this family has and a lot of them are his fault. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the loss of his wife, it's not clear within the context of the film whether or not he was a better father. No, it no, we don't know that. that. Yeah, no, we don't just, know that. No, I don't. Yeah, no. It's it's hard. It it's difficult to assume that because there are plenty of people. I mean, if if we're supposed to establish some form of empathic profile with the father, it is that his his obsession with his legacy has come into existence and degraded. Precisely because the one person he actually loved is gone, mm -hmm. and that causes a very dangerous refocusing in a lot of people. Yeah, no, it's it's very King Learism, you know, like like like, you know, my my legacy is what I have, of what I have, what I have, what I have wrought, right? Like my legacy is those that I can't control, you know, and like. But it, but he came to that because he lost his wife. Like yeah. I, I, it is again the movie doesn't the movie doesn't necessarily. Tell us whether no, we don't or not learn he about was good. What, what kind of the relationship, but but we do it does infer kind of like when and how he yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah, he lost her. It's one of my favorite. Um, one of my favorite things that uh, John Dolan, the war nerd, says is we have a tremendous fantasy around our parts that catastrophe in a personal life leads to redemption, and almost all of the time, catastrophe leads to further catastrophe yeah. that the causing of one bad thing leads to other bad things. Yeah, no, that's like some Hollywood bullshit. Like families all of a sudden come together in like hard times. Like that's fucking bullshit. No, yeah. <laughs> no the cracks that existed, they get bigger, get bigger and they get bigger. Yeah. And that, that yeah, seems because to be, you see the, like, like how a person is under stress is basically you know, you're seeing like the worst of a person at that point. And so you, the, you fall to the level of your training. Yeah. And, you know, so this household has been under a lot of stress for a long time and the, the cracks are, are cavernous. Yeah. And the, I mean, I, I'm talking about empathy for the father figure here because I just don't, I, I don't see a reason in a film that is already about 
it is so strongly about attempting to see through the lens of other people. It's clear that Herzog, I mean, Herzog's performance is grand enough to allow that kind of introspection. And I think it is, I think it is worth dwelling on that possibility that he was in, I mean, he was an immigrant, he was dislocated, he had something and lost it. Um, and the story, again, it doesn't specifically, the story's not specifically about him, but it, no. it does. He no, but features, he is the domineering force within and, yeah. the family. And he features more prominently than he has to. Well, but this is, you know, like, the vast majority of, of you know, like, commercial cinema is about making films about the best of us. Right, like the best people, right? Like you know, like like the people that can do it all or do what's necessary, and you know, like and not but, without cause. Yeah, I think like, it's worth saying. But but there has to be a cinema for the rest of us, right? There has to be a cinema for the 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 the, the really really tough truths that so many people experience and live with, and it is a real problem that. <laughs> That, you know, because uh, I watched a, a documentary on Henry Corinne and he talks about, he's like, look, like cinema has been around for a hundred years and we're not really getting any better at it. Like it's not <laughs> any more complex than it was. And we've seen old movies. Oh, and yeah. I mean, can we really say that they are beyond tone and substance, more complex mechanisms for storytelling than what we have right now? No, I mean, Birth I, of a Nation is complex yeah. AF. Fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Do that uh, the 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 Chaplin film we watched right like yeah like not any more complex and even, than Aquaman. even shit like little things in that Chaplin thing shocked me like fight choreography yeah <laughs> fight choreography was fan fucking tastic and this was like in nineteen twenty something yeah. yeah and I'm was just that city lights yeah city yeah. lights yeah that was what it was yeah city lights that was the one we watched I'm yeah. just like but you know he you know it's it's not merely right like the 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 difficulty of the, the the difficulty of the subject matter, but the way in which the story is told narratively, and I think what's kind of problematic is that this movie obviously did did just terribly. Well, here's the thing: is making movies like this is not good for your career. Yeah, which is why Corinne, in all these years, has made like six movies. Yeah. over over a lifetime, like yeah. this 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 doesn't win you any favors doing something like this. Yeah, <laughs> but yet, like I can. I would rarely consider a film as necessary as this. And I just don't know how, you know, I mean, the only thing that I can, that, that and why I, if I find it so difficult is that so many people are just running from so much in their lives and a film like this won't let you get away. And when we try to think about what would be necessary, what, what someone must or try to challenge themselves to, to do or experience in life, like, you know, this, this has to be some sort of a way in which this has to be included is there. And for Corinne, you know, I don't, I won't hold the beach bum up against this one and fault him for it. Um, you know, cause he fucking did it once yeah. at least. And yet, you know, like I do like the beach bum, but it is hollow, a hollow experience compared to this one. And in, in all of the aspects, I think it's, it's, it's hollow. And, but once again, it's not, it's, it's okay. But it's, it's also, okay. it's not trying. To, yeah. It, which yeah. was still good. Like yeah. I'd still recommend it to people, but like, <clears throat> God damn. And that's where my opinion of this becomes very strange because. Yeah. How do you actually like feel about this movie? Yeah, David. David? What? Julian gone, Donkey Boy. Yeah. I absolutely hate this film. Okay. 
Um, I, I don't know that I'm better off having watched it. And I preferred it the first time when I was drunk to, by the way, throwing up is way more fun than most people give it credit. I don't have a problem with it's, throwing it's, up. It is it's alleviating. A, it's in a, a yeah. real sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a purge. Yeah. And I did this, the last time I did this was with Scarface. And it was also extremely appropriate in that moment. Yes. I got to, we got to about five minutes before the second half. And I was staring at a, I believe it was a scotch. Yeah. And I knew at that moment, if I take another sip of this, the rest of the night it's is go- going yeah. to be worse. Yeah. This is, this is, the, mo- this is the pivotal moment. <laughs> I took the drink. And again, didn't regret it because emotionally it followed the arc of the film. And the same thing happened with this film. I felt poorly walking into this movie. Yeah. And by the end, I was in a performative state of pretending to be alert with one eye open, holding Mm. a glass of gin level. And that was all the attention I had. I could not pay attention to what was going on in the film. And I got to see it earlier today. Um, after sobriety came back to me. Right. And while it is completely true in the artistic sense that this film has a purpose, in the utilitarian sense by which I live my life, this film has no purpose at all. I'm not sure who it's for. Mm -hmm. And The Beach Bum makes way more sense to me if we are attempting to build a film that doesn't punch down precisely because any poor person who is down on their luck can fantasize about being Matthew McConaughey for an hour and a half. And it's just a good guilt-free time. Whereas a poor person who is wondering whether or not they're going insane while debt piles up and everything in their life is dysfunctional, Julian Donkey Boy is useless for that person. Mm-hmm. That this film is only good, and I understand that this is sentimental Marxism no, flying, no, but no. it is. But there is there's a way in which, like, I appreciate films in two ways, and they are. This movie is the fucking fracture point. Like Julian Donkey Boy, aside from there, there are certain plot elements of it, and there's there's certain directorial decisions that I I just fundamentally disagree with. I think Tom Mullica's um, smoking act mm-hmm. that he performs in front of the school that of the blind was just a poor choice. And mm-hmm. ju- I, I think even the way that was framed was stupid, but in terms of, in terms of generating the effect, this movie is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like it does that, but then there is the other, there is the other side. Who is this film actually for? Like yeah. who actually watches this film and gets something out of it that is not enervating? That is not, in fact, antipathizing, which happens very frequently mm-hmm. um, when you when you uh, I, I was immediately thinking of Sullivan's Travels because Sullivan's Travels oh, they right. hinted this quite a bit at the beginning of it in sort of a preachy way the idea that we don't we don't look into the lives of poverty because poverty is a plague and its presence in society needs to be diminished not merely for the sake of the rich who don't want to see it, but for the poor who don't want to have to experience it any more than they already do. Yeah. Um, and we talked about, we've talked quite a bit about ableism effectively in this podcast now, because we talked about people who are blind. We talked about people who can't think straight. We've talked about, you know, drunkards who've lost their wives. These are all forms of disability. Like this, these, these are states where, and it, you know, it's possible to, spin these things, which I find to be completely immoral. Like the idea that 
the idea that someone being blind is a perspective worth honing in on. Like, I understand that even some blind people drink the Kool-Aid on this. I find that position to be completely reprehensible. Like, if it is possible for someone to be given sight, there is no way we should do that. And, you know, being handicapped in any way, we should do what we can to bridge that gap. Like, we owe it to those people. But the pretense is is worse than useless. Mm-hmm. Um, here, the bridge that... We're not gap. Uh, we're not bridging a gap here. All we're doing is hoping that you, Ryan, see this film, understand that you don't understand someone else's position, and hope that you were already not open-minded enough that you are willing to give black people and gays the benefit of the doubt because you now understand how little you understand them. And the problem is that most people were not open-minded enough to understand that to begin with. Yeah, your empathy was already broad enough that all Corinne did was blow it open. And it's good for that particular purpose. But for everyone else who watches it, I don't know where the balance gets struck. Well, here's, I mean, so, right, like, if we were to, like, confront that problem, right, like, I'm just not convinced that showing similar, a movie based on similar themes, like A Beautiful Mind, accomplishes... Oh, no, 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 I, no. I am not. Yeah. That was not a defense yeah, so, of beautiful No, minds. no, no. And that's, okay, so good. So then. Absolutely so then, not. But the problem we're faced with is, right, like how, how can we open up the, the empathy chakras <laughs> of normal people enough in a way that is not so febrile and stunted as the cinema we have and the, and the portrayals that we have? That is the best defense i think there is for this film is that this does at least attempt to do that i mean you would i mean it would the problem with a lot of people's rejection of challenging cinema is that it's like it's just like the idea that it's just bad because it lacks the the craft and technique and form of what they're used to right like the, if in a weird way right like as a culture and especially as you know american western culture right like there's just so much holding us back that when something challenges the the principles and the fundamentals of 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 storytelling that we 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 just inherently have this kind of block that pre- that just prevents us from i think confronting what the film is asking us to confront and this is what's striking is that like it's not a problem for like like normal people, right? Like if you read like read the reviews of Julian Donkey Boy, right? Like I the most common those. critique is that it is ugly, and like to like dislike it because of its intentional refusal to lie to say that anything portrayed in this can be beautiful is what I find sh- just sh- just beyond reproach. Like I really. Like, wh- where is your morality at that? I mean, at a fundamental level, where is your morality, let alone your aesthetics? No, and I, I, I like, completely agree with God that. God damn it. But that's the problem is that this doesn't crack the nut because yeah. the normal people do not see it that way. Yeah. I'm still haunted by, I don't know if it was Michael Lewis, the guy behind Big Short, so I guess giving him any more of a plug on this is probably He's all right. Advice. He's got other good no, stuff. No, he's, he's fun. Yeah, no, no, no. no, no. I'm, right. I'm, not, I'm not besmirching him. It's just whether or not I'm misattributing this. I heard this in some podcast, and I can't fucking remember where it was, where someone asked, um, asked a conservative 
individual, but I imagine this actually works for many liberal individuals as well because there's we're not so different. Yeah, I was gonna I. say this, it's, a, it's a fine line. <laughs> the, um, a fine line. Um, they were talking. They were talking about something related to uh, the civil rights movement, and they asked, "It's like, well, what if you were a black person? How would you feel about that?" And the response was, "I'm not a black person. Why would I think about that?" Yeah, and there was a incredibly sickly deep truth about that yeah because that that person is right that person's completely right he doesn't actually have to care about that it is at his discretion to do so um and there's no way to convince him immaterially that he should that's that's a basic harsh truth of the world um it may hurt him in indirect ways um, because most that kind like, of empathy, yeah, that yeah, kind of empathy it won't, yeah. makes you well. That kind of empathy makes you in a in a purely hedonistic sense a better person, and not even hedonistic in the extremely superficial way that we talk about. He may be more fulfilled having the ability to connect to other people, but in the material sense in which we all live, because n- nobody ain't struggling on some level in that world. Um, that person's completely right. And the people who consider this movie ugly, they're not wrong. Yeah. That is completely accurate. No, it's not pretty. It's just a question of whether or not that is a judgment against it. Yeah, but I just I just am so disgusted by the sense that I like the what the person's saying is that I would have given this a better shot if it had looked pretty. Yeah. You know, like I would have I would have like I would have believed the performances more. I would have under I would have like seen the idea of mental illness portrayed in this in a little bit, I would have been a little bit more understanding if it had just looked a little bit better. If it had just had a little bit more, like why couldn't Julian have gotten the girl in the end? You know, like like give like give me a fucking break. I think I think understanding's a little too far, but as far as I mean, it, that is an accurate assessment of their feelings. Like they they understand <laughs> they understand what they can get out of this film. Right. And they're not willing to take the leap that you did. Well, and it's it's why, you know, when we like one of my favorite <laughs> um one of my favorite tags that many people put on on certain movies is the idea that they're like subversive. And there are so very few subversive <laughs> movies actually out there. And the ones that are really, I think, do a great job at being subversive, first off, have all been made before 9-11. But then second <laughs> of all also but then second of all, also are by the, by the very nature imperfect, right? Right. Like by the, ver- by their very nature, extremely problematic works of art, because, you know, they're like, in order to, to achieve that level of subversity to like, to, 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 to arrest your audience and then to intentionally take their, 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 the gullibility of the rules of cinema and to like intentionally fuck with them as a result of that. Um, like it, you, you have to burn some bridges along the way <laughs> and you have to make some really egregious compromises. And um, like this film, I think if anything refuses to does refuse to just inch towards meeting someone halfway, but at the same time, man, like I, I have to inherently respect, as I've said before, the honesty of harmony Corinne's approach. There is so little, lie about this film there is so much and so it, it even go like as bizarre as this all sounds so the the house that julian and his family yeah. live in was harmony it was the house he lived in with his uncle oh, dogma, okay. 95. dogma 95 yeah his the the old grandmother is his own grandmother is it his own grandmother okay. right like the 
the portrayal of the characters involved, the actors met with and, rec- you know, like not only if they, you know, um, I forget the uh, Scottish actor's name. Who oh, portrays Julie. Brem- Bremner? Yeah. Um, met with. Uh, he met with the, the uncle. Uh, Harvey like, Krenn's yeah, uncle. Yeah, because the uncle lives is, in like a he's an institution. Yeah, he's an, an institution. institution. Yeah. And when he wasn't able to meet, Harmony would just record his uncle and they would like just, just watch it. and stuff. Just to get like the semblance of this. And, you know, like I um. You know, I don't know how many films Harmony Corinne could have made like this, right? No. Like because there's there's just so little one could put in so much and so little that someone could do to put so much of themselves into something like this. And, and like I said, this is not like this is not something a lot of people are gonna watch. I mean, you know, like like you said, David, this is this is a tall ask for most people. Well in the movie the movie does say so little anyway. I mean, this this movie is vignettes. This movie is mostly anachronistic like it doesn't it it doesn't follow a flow per se it is any 15 minutes of this film and this is actually another thing that shows up in a lot of reviews and they just don't seem to have gotten the point roger ebert's review of this is very good um i i think it's probably you know it it, it is it is him in top four. It's why we mention him but he is ins- he's he's an exceptionally good reviewer yeah, he's he, fucking insightful on this point there is there is very little to be gained from watching any 15 minutes of this film. The point is that altogether it is a monotonous, nauseating thing to watch. That is, that is the point. Like that's what you get out of it. Um, and there is no, there is no justification to make another one of these films in this vein, especially. He didn't make another film for like 10 years after this. And rightly so. I mean, there's no, there's no, nothing follows this film. Like that's, that's the point. It is a gestalt. It is. Yeah. It is. It's tot. It, it is because I don't see this one as vignetted because, like, Gummo, the one he did before this, feels more like straight out vignettes. Like this one actually at least follows like one family through the whole thing. <laughs> he, but, but I think Ebert's other point is that so many films, right? Like, like you know, like like a James Bond movie. All of like ninety per, like eighty percent of of James Bond film is just justifying the action sequence, which okay. is why you're yeah. actually there. You're not in a James Bond movie to watch James Bond, like talk at a bar, <laughs> you know, like you're at a James Bond movie for him to kick ass and take names. Great. But so little of those scenes lead to something greater than the point, which brought them there in the film, but taken together Right, each individual, uh, the individual scenes within Julian Donkey Boy add up to something. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's what I mean because in Gummo, I feel like the, all the the individual scenes don't necessarily add up to anything, and in this one, they actually sort of do. Which and is, in the Beach Bum, they don't add up to anything either. You can watch any ten minutes of the Beach Bum and have a good time. Yeah, that's true. You or don't watch the whole thing, but in have ge- a great but it, time. yeah, but yeah, but, <laughs> exactly. but yeah, but you know, in the general, whole- that's a that's it, it has a, a bit of a lighter flow to it, anyways. Yeah, the, the sum is exactly equal. To, you know, what is it? Uh, the whole the whole is exactly, exactly equal, equal to the sum parts. of its parts. But that is still an additive process. So watch the whole film. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> Julian Donkey Boy just doesn't work if you watch ten minutes of it. It's just chaos, and you're yeah. go- and y- y- you leave. You're yeah. you're done. You go. Oh well, that was uncomfortable, and I don't want to do that again. The point, the pain is the point. Like yeah. and, and and again, that's that's a hard sell even to me. Like I will never watch that film again. Yeah, I have no reason to. I have absolutely no justification. It was more fun the first time when I was suffering under 
complete inebriation. Like having seen the final sequence of it again in sort of an Undertalian way, which we covered at length, so I won't talk about it too much. I mean, it feels it it, it feels wrong to watch the last fifteen minutes of that movie again, knowing that that's how it occurs. Mm-hmm. Like knowing that the miscarriage occurs at the end makes it makes it feel wrong to even replay it mm-hmm. because I know that's going to happen and there's nothing I can do about it. No, that was actually because I, you know, it had been probably about 15. Aside from not watch it again. Yeah, it had been probably a good 15 years at least since I had watched this and it wasn't till like they got to the ice skating rink and I was just like, oh no, I remember how this ends. I was just yeah. like, oh fuck. If you already have the knowledge, there's <laughs> no reason to re-experience it. And this, and, but it that like, is masochistic. I got it, but like, it's so weird. I guess we don't watch a lot of masochistic films. Probably You most, don't, I do. Well, I used yeah. to, um, and the ones that I remember fondly, I'd feel uncomfortable watching with other people, like Irreversible. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, but like, at the same time, there is, I'll be honest with you, I've seen this movie twice, there is little of this movie I had forgotten, right? Like, it was like, I mean, I can... Oh, dialogue-wise, I remembered it almost but word for word. It just, just when I was going through the, it, like, it just, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, this is how it ends. Like, it hadn't, I, like, yeah. I had blocked it out until we got to that skating rink, and then it was like it all came flooding yeah, no, back. Yeah, last, no, last 25 minutes of this movie, like, <laughs> the, the whole movie hit me again. Yeah. And I was just, like, kind of, like, kind of, kind of allowing myself to really feel the fucking, the, 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 truly tragic nature of what is being shown uh, what is being shown to me and what's strange is that like the scene that that did it and what kind of like leads us into the big the big depressing ending is the family at this at this church um and you know this is a real profound experience for julian as well and i and i don't want to I, I will not go into my religious screed about that i think oh, is there's plenty of religious yeah but there's a lot of religious this. overtones yeah. in this film and real base religi- religiosity as well but what like what really brought the tragedy about was that like the idea for a for a deeply schizophrenic person who i think and the, as the movie requires us to kind of recognize who feels disconnected within any moment of their lives right like like visual auditory feeling sensory like nothing all feels streamlined in the same synchronous experience sequ- sequential experience but yet at a religious where where everyone is singing and the music comes in, or where the where the, the the sermon leads to the hymn, leads well, to the music, leads to the communal experience, all that of that. Pentecostal, you know, you're doing the blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ, and, and everything, everything for yeah. Julian comes into, if you right, like once again, like harmony in that yeah. moment, and he it cries as he's dancing and clapping and singing in that moment, and there's small little instances where all where that kind of like kind of happens to him, in one of the most memorable sequences of the film, it's in this like rap sequence at the school where the black albino straight yeah. from Alabama sings this hymn and Julian really fucking it's really into yeah, it. And, and what, where music plays this recurring connection in the film to, to the importance of the characters to the pr- presentation of beauty, because the other, I mean, the only non characterized character based scenes are these interjections of opera over a, you know, Frame by frame, slow motion figure skater, which of course directly that they're filming lead. from a TV, yes, that which from a VHS, but obviously, <laughs> right, like represents this wider theme of fucking purity of beauty, which of course just 
doubly traumatic because it's how it's because there's the, no beauty in this. Well, household. and then it of course yeah. just mirrors the her own, you know. Uh, the, uh, the 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 sister's miscarriage caused by her accident in, in a figure skating accident. I yeah. mean, it, no, there's no reprieve. There's a fucking this movie's just death and hor- hor- horrendousness throughout. But like the the way in which she experiences that real the, the the intense I don't know like purity or 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 some some. Well, you could see how that would be. I because I can't I can't imagine it from like a schizophrenic point, but I can imagine like that kind of like fervor religious language on like a kid when they're hearing this stuff but you don't really understand and how that can have like can like lead to like kind of like we like weird things like because you're interpreting it in your own head with you know like just like your childlike context and it's it's like rapturous and passionate but you know you're you're interpreting it like completely within your own filter because you don't understand the fucking metaphor of the blood of Christ. The life of a poor city child is constantly dissonant and constantly loud and chaotic. And the moments when music occurs are the moments when there is loud imposing stimulus that is deliberate. Um, Whenever they're home, there's constantly noise. The TV's on, people are yelling. You can hear the people downstairs and upstairs and all that shit. And none of that actually works together. None of that makes sense, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Music makes sense. Music is harmonic. It's melodic. You can follow what's going on and it hits you deliberately. And one would assume that if Julian lived in a quieter place, he would be much better off. Mm-hmm. Um, that The fact that you can filter out chaos plays a significant role in mental illness itself. I mean, the, the No, but capacity, he's clearly not in a family that's able to provide that. Nothing makes sense. Yeah. The dad is being irrational. His brother has this weird aspiration. And again, even just things, even just things like street noise. Street noise is chaotic. It doesn't literally make sense. Yeah. Um, and Julian has a very strong, not to get too pop psych about this, but Julian does have a strong desire for things to make sense. He yeah. has to talk through them. He yeah. has to un- he has to comprehend them even if it's only in his own broken internal mm-hmm. logic. And if things are happening too fast, that's impossible. You can't he can't keep up. Yeah. And it doesn't take much to overwhelm him. Oh man, and there's just like I said like every scene just has something to like comment on where you know so so his younger brother Chris is a wrestler, right? Like he wants to be a wrestler, aspirational, and, aspirational, and he and he, the training and he need, needing and to win. And he's got like the body dysmorphia, yeah, and anorexia, oh, and and then the dad is putting so much pressure on him because the dad wants somebody to not be a fuck up in the family, and, and then, all the pressures on him. But then there's like the like the scene where where Julian and Chris wrestle. It, we get, of course, these completely in incompatible understandings of wrestling, where like Chris is the Olympic wrestler, and then. Julian comes in in a costume of like underwear and a bra as like the thematic World Wrestling Federation wrestling. Yeah, and he's and got the, the like, call name and he's jumping around. Yeah, Julian and... the Jablin Jabber. And yeah. like, then they're going to wrestle and like neither one can like meet each other, right? Like, and fucking man, like. And then what is Chris? And then, and then, like I said, it's, you know, it's like that heartbreaking moment where it's like, because nobody even completely understands what 
Julian's like ailments are because Chris just keeps yelling at me. He's like, why can't you wrestle normal? Take this seriously. Why can't you wrestle normal? And they, yeah. and so, but God, it doesn't, <laughs> but then it doesn't let you go. So Chris, after humiliating Julian and hurting him, storms out of the house. Julian goes out to console Chris and he says, I, I can't hurt you, Chris. Yeah. I can't hurt you. And he's like, fuck you. Why can't you take this seriously? Because you know, like Julian's like, I'm not my father, you know, like I can't, I can't hurt you. And you're like, God damn it. Like, just like, just fucking retching my heart out of me every fucking scene. And like the, 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 like I said, there's just this, the frankness with which this is portrayed is just really, I, I just am struck by it over. Oh, like, I thought I, I was prepared. Like I thought I was prepared to watch this movie again. I was surprised Lou made it all the way through this too. Cause Lou spent time in a household yeah. of that structure. And uh, like Lou, Lou like straight up had had a panic attack the first time I put this movie on, like yeah. fifteen minutes. This movie in. is he's affecting. like he's like I have I have lived yeah, like I've lived affecting. with these people. He's like this is not something I want to revisit. <laughs> like so, it's just it's too hard. I mean I, I I but I just yeah I'm I like I just I fucking I think this thing is just goddamn brilliant. Like I yeah, love it. I'm I'm it's not something that you want to watch all the time. No, sure, but, when, but it's. <laughs> It, I'm I'm deeply and profoundly moved by this, and I, it's definitely it, it's right up there with Lawrence of Arabia and Barry Lyndon, yeah. and you know the other top movies that we've we've covered for me. When we you know with this like the taglines of like experimental or you know uh, uh, get attached to something like this, right? Like you as a viewer need to prepare yourself for seeing something that is outside of the normal constraints and bounds and conventions of normal cinema. But like we search out things like that. Like normal people don't fucking look for shit like that. And it, it's, it is the case. And yet like, you know, when there's a director like Kubrick that can like, just, just give you enough of that in that conventional setting, right? Like, Oh, he's a fucking genius, you know, like, Oh, he's an, he's incredible. And yeah. And you know, it's, I, um, I think that Fincher is is someone who, as well as a as a director, um, I don't, brings what that. What does Fincher do these days? Uh, he does weird shit, man. Like, does he? Yeah, okay. his stuff is. Um, he did this Gone Girl movie, which is just it's bizarre. I mean, it's one of those things where they're not liked enough, but people like. So the reason he gets like uh, uh, the thing of it was um, they had because um, he produced and directed some of the House of Cards. You know the series okay, on Netflix. Okay. And the article I read about it said that, like, you know, Netflix, of course, does this data-driven approach to how they decide to who to give. They used to, at least. Now they just give anyone with fucking, like, they, you know, like, they can't not make shit because they just realize, like, content. It's always more content. But when they had to be discerning about this kind of shit, they apparently looked at the behavior of people and, and how they watch certain directors' movies. And they found that, like, when people watch David Fincher films they're more likely to finish them. And you, cause you, there's something about a David Fincher film. You're like, you're like, I'm just, I'll ride this out. Yeah. I'm going to keep watching that. And like Zodiac and things like that is a great fucking example of a movie. Is that, that the is Gyllenhaal? Like, yeah, man. It's fucking, I don't know if I've ever not fallen asleep through that. That's okay. In which case it played through anyway. Okay. And yeah. And I know right. it definitely played through. I yeah. just don't, I'm not sure if I've ever been awake through the whole That's thing. That's cool. Either way it works. Yeah. Netflix needs Fitbit data to get actual. Yeah. No. And I'm not, I'm yeah. not noting, but I think that for Fincher, what is why he is, is continues to get money to make movies. 
and yet is not universally acclaimed as that block that so much like you know this like tapping into something kind of unnerving in his ability to like subvert and and find those experimental tendencies in normal you know normal conventions of cinema and yet just tweaks them enough to where they're fucking like just unnerving in a in a very in a very and like, i guess in an engaging way, way. Yeah. people people want to watch it all the way through but for something like this where there's just no reaching over there's no reaching across the aisle with this movie no nor should there be because fuck it something must be pure well, i think that's gonna do it uh so ryan what are your thoughts on uh ava oh ava evangelion <laughs>